0: Hi, and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire, and instill fresh faith in you. This year, our theme is I Am Your God from Ezekiel chapter 34. We believe that God alone is everything we need in these uncertain times, and so we desire to put all of our trust in Him. We have Christine Gershom sharing God's Word with us today. Yeshua is the God who saves us from a life of hopelessness and lack and gives us a life of endless hope and deep abundance. Will you quieten your heart to hear what God wants to speak to you today? Hi church, what a joy it is to bring God's word to you today. Um, I hope the first week of Jan has treated you all right. I know things have been going a bit haywire across our country with The number of cases of COVID going up, things have been changing. We have lockdowns, we have curfews. And while all that may be, can I just reiterate that the theme for this whole year is that our God, He is the great I am and He is our God. He's such a personal God. And um, I personally am looking forward to uh, growing closer to Him, knowing Him more um, and experiencing Him in a greater way this year. Um today before I get into the word of god i just want to uh, share this funny story i was reading a couple of weeks back it's a it, there was apparently it's it's a it's a fictional story there was apparently a competition happening uh, where jesus and satan were having this back and forth about who was better at the computer and it just was going on for many days and finally god just stepped in god the father said you know what enough is enough let's have a you know a a, a, a lo- day long quiz and whoever wins at this at this activity um, will be the unparalleled winner and the one who's better at the computer. So they went ahead. He gave them a bunch of tasks on their computers and Jesus and Satan went at it apparently. And, um, you know, they were sending emails. They had to practice uh, sending faxes, printing things, attaching things. And they worked a whole day. All of a sudden, there was apparently a bolt of lightning because of which the computer screens blanked and just switched off. And Satan swore with every, you know, bad word known to man while Jesus just sat back inside. Finally, God the Father snapped and of course everything came back on. And, um, Jesus proceeded to, you know, do take a printout of all the work done that day and submit it to the Father. But Satan had nothing on his screen and he was, he was so irate and he was screaming and he was upset and he said, you know what? He cheated. Jesus cheated. That's why he has everything. How on earth is it possible for him to have uh, got back everything that was lost? And God, the father, smilingly tells him, guess what? That's because Jesus saves. So maybe you're thinking, oh, my God, that's such a dad joke. But the truth is that the God we worship, the living God that we worship, he's the God who saves none other. And today's verse is taken from Hosea chapter 13, verse 4. And this is what it says. But I am the Lord, your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no savior. Today, we're going to be looking at how this God, he says today to you and to me, I am your God who saves you. So when we get into God's word, can I just say a quick prayer that God would speak to each one of us right where we are at. He will meet us at the point of our need, answer questions that have been plaguing us for a long time and that he will show us just how deeply he loves us. Father in heaven, I pray that as we unpack your word, that your spirit would give us a fresh revelation. You would help us understand your word in the right context and apply it to our lives, Father, that we would leave here and completely change to Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So when you look at that, Hosea, the prophet is is telling his people, the people of Israel, you know, no God, but this God, the one who brought you out of Egypt, he is the savior. There is no other. And today, I don't know what your Egypt looked like. Each of us have come from a place of before Christ to now where we are in the in the post Christ phase, as it were in our lives, where we've accepted Jesus and we're walking this journey with him. But I want to ask you If you have really experienced the saving power of Jesus, when we talk about someone saving someone, we always have to understand that they were saved from something and saved for something. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. What does that look like? What does it look like to have a God who saves us? What does it look like to live saved? That's what we're going to be looking at. In today's passage, it's a couple of verses long, but I want us to just read it. Um, even after the service today, if you could take some time to read this for yourself, I believe it's a prophetic look at what God wants to do in each of our lives this year. So if you could take time on your own to read this through the week, it would be great. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 8. I'm reading from the ESV. And this is what it says, the coming peace and prosperity of Zion. And the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy and I'm jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall once again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness, before we continue, what is this talking about? It's talking about God who's saying, yes, there was the season of exile where it felt like I was not with you, but now I'm going to return. It's almost like he went away, but he's coming back. He's using that imagery, although he never really left them. And he's saying, you know, this was a desolate landscape. Exile was a hard thing because there was almost nine tenths of the people were taken into different countries. They were driven away. They ran away. And there was a small remnant that was left in the land. Um, Obviously, there were not many old. There were not many young children playing around. But he's saying there's a thing that's going to change. Desolation is going to change to population. I'm going to return. I'm going to be with you guys. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying that I'm going to dwell in the midst of these people. Reading from verse 9, Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor." But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword for cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. We're looking at a before after scenario where he's saying you were called a land of cursing. People knew that your God had left you. Your God had abandoned you for that time. They knew and they were cursing you under their breath, but now you're going to be a blessing. He's saying that, you know what? There were not, there was nothing. Your people were working for free. They were tilling and, and sowing in, in soil where there was, they were not getting any returns. The, the ground was barren. There were no trees. There were no plants. There were no crops. The animals which were used in the fields had nothing to graze on after that. It was such a dismal situation. But now he's saying something's going to change. There's going to be prosperity. There is going to be a return for things that you put in. You're going to get something back. And it's one of hope. These verses are those of hope. Reading from verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath for all these things. I hate declares the Lord and the word of the Lord of the host came to me saying thus says the Lord of hosts the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feast therefore love truth and peace. Here God is so beautifully intertwining the promise of restoration, the promise of hope, the promise of good things to come. But he's also saying there are conditions, my sons and daughters, there are things you must do so that you can reap these blessings. And it's twofold. It doesn't just extend one way. It goes two ways. And he's talking here about how mourning is going to become times of celebration. Those four fasts that are mentioned, they're symbolic of the The first fast was instituted when the walls were brought down. The second was when the temple was torn down. The third fast was instituted when their governor was assassinated. And the fourth one was when the siege was laid and the whole country was just completely dissipated. Those four things were so pivotal in Israel's post-exilic history. It was so strong for them. They would gather and mourn for those things that had happened when they remembered their former glory and looked at where they were at now. But God is saying, guess what? That's going to change to celebration. There is going to be reason for celebration. Reading from verse 20 till the end. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts. In Jerusalem, and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And the beauty of this whole passage is that we are living in the fulfillment of this passage. We are living in a time when those of us from all around the world, we believe on the name of Jesus. We are brought together by the name of Jesus because of his finished work today. We are counted as amongst the chosen. We are the remnant and God wants to do something beautiful in us. If you looked through this whole passage, yes, it was a long passage. And that's why I wanted you to go back and read it for yourself. It's such a beautiful um, set of verses and so much imagery, but more than that, so much a promise for each of us. And I want to leave this with you today before we get into actually what I want to leave with you. I want to remind you today of who our God is. He's a God who is with us. God who saves. Yeshua. That's where we get the word Yeshua, Jesus. He is the one who saves. There is no other than him. Yeshua. Yeshua, the one who saves. He's the God who saves us. In his coming to earth, in his dwelling with men, in his death, in his resurrection, he brought God to us. He stayed with us. And today... All of these promises are made, are brought to fulfillment because of Jesus. And so the first stage of being saved is ready. We're, we're saved already because the minute we accept Jesus as the Lord of our lives, we are saved. We are counted as saved. But my question to you today is, are we living saved? Are we living a life that is resemblant of someone who is saved As we looked through this whole passage, I just want to remind you of something that God is promising restoration to your life. If there's been desolation for many years, maybe for a generation even, God is saying today to you, because you chose me, because you are following after me, I'm going to bring restoration. Maybe God has been talking to you about who he is. And this is what I want to remind you, that he is faithful and righteous. Like it mentions in verse 14 and 15, he has not changed we changed. We lost faith. We went off off track, but he has not changed. He is faithful. He is righteous. This is the God who saves us. And so where does this passage leave us? This is what I want to begin by saying, that we will be blessed when we have Jesus at the forefront. When he is the one who saves us, we will be blessed to be a blessing to many. And we'll be restored to bring restoration To many, it's not for ourselves. We are not saved for ourselves. We are saved for others. And so today, I believe that God has a word for us that we are Zion. Specifically, he is saying this to us. He, I've saved you. I've given all. I've saved you. You are mine. But I want you to live differently. I want you to have certain priorities in your life so that you can actually exhibit the life of one who has been saved, who has been delivered, who has been rescued. That's what he has for us. That's what he wants to do. I wonder if some of us are still living with the mindset of someone who's unsaved, with the mindset of someone who's still held back. I remember when we had um, we had a, a ancillary paper of zoology. We studied about an, a bunch of experiments which were done on animals to to check how they behaved in a cage and outside of a cage. And I remember they had these experiments where gorillas were placed inside a cage. For a certain length of time and then after, the, after a prolonged time when you did take the gorilla out of the cage the gorilla still behaved like he was caged the animal still thought it was caged and behaved in a certain way it stayed within the confines of a space even though there were no bars around it and I wonder if some of us are living like that God has saved us from darkness to light he has saved us from ungodliness to godliness. He has saved us from unholiness to holiness. But are we still living like we have not been saved at all? Are we still speaking about the things that held us back in the 1980s when God is asking, Hey, but what's happening now? What am I doing now in the 2020s? Have we not moved? are we still living in a place of emptiness when god is calling us to a place of fullness have, are we moving from a place of having nothing before christ to having abundance and fullness in him there has to be a change this past week it's been interesting um our neighbor has a beautiful garden i don't have a garden i i'm not good at maintaining anything um plant related um but my neighbor has a beautiful garden and she has a a banana tree in the backyard and um Over the past one month, because we had a bunch of uh, storms and things in in Chennai, uh the, the leaves of the tree just got battered and the tree looked like it was about to fall, but it somehow stood the test of time. It's still standing. The leaves are absolutely tattered. And so I thought, you know what, this is a lost cause because in spite of studying botany, I had no clue what was happening with the plant. In the last two weeks, um, the fruit portion of the tree, you know, it was completely covered by modified leaves. It leaned over into our garden and it started shedding all of the modified leaves into our space. And so, you know, every morning one of us would clean it. And as the days progressed, the modified leaves started dropping off. And within a week, we saw a beautiful bushel of bananas hidden right under it. And it, they were so fresh and green. And, you know, I had been judging that 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 tree for a couple of days saying, you know what, this is a lost cause. It's a dead tree. Look at the leaves. It looks pathetic. But the proof of its health was in the fruit because that's what we could all see. And as I was preparing for this, I felt like God was saying, what is the fruit in each of your lives for being saved by me? Is there a fruit that others can tangibly see and say, hey, you know what, there's something different about this person. I want what that person has. So I want to ask you today. From Zachariah, these are some of the things that I believe God wants to ask us. What has God saved us from? What has God saved you from? First thing I believe that he saved us from is a lack of resources. You saw how they were unable to pay people wages. Animals didn't have wages. There was nothing. And I remember times... Before I knew the Lord, when I operated on empty, I didn't have the resources I needed. I didn't have access to the supernatural resources that come only through a relationship with Jesus. The first thing he saves us from is a lack of resources. Our resources before Jesus were usually what we scrounged around or what our networks pulled in or, you know, we made it happen. What about God saving us? from a lack of safety. Think about it. The whole of Jerusalem during the exile, the first thing that they broke was their walls. They had no safety. Our enemies could just run in. They overran the place. People waltzed in, waltzed out, took children, took people, took women. There was no safety for anyone. What a terrible, terrible thing. Before we knew the Lord, wasn't our lives like that. The enemy had just run amok. Our thoughts were a mess. We lived as we wanted. His schemes and plots seemed like the way of life for us. That's the next thing that we needed saving from. We needed saving from a lack of resources. We needed savings from a lack of safety. We needed saving from a lack of peace. The people there, the Lord himself is telling the prophet, I turned people against each other. The lack of peace was very evident And I I don't know about you, but if you remember the days before you knew the Lord, you will remember that your peace was very circumstantial. If your day was going good, you had, you know, a calm day. If things were out of hand, you were going through ups and downs, hitting the peaks, falling in, in, in the rut now and then. Peace was pointedly lacking. We also need a saving from a lack of joy. Again, very circumstantial. Here it's saying you had times to mourn, four big pivotal moments in the post-exilic stage. And these people were used to mourning. There was no dancing. There were no wedding feasts. There were no children playing in the streets. I remember when the pandemic first hit, we had kept all our kids confined in our homes. And when we walked through our apartment, when we walked on the street outside, it felt like a ghost town. There's something so therapeutic about hearing children laugh and play. There's something so soothing about seeing old people walk walk the streets for their evening stroll. None of that was seen here. There was no joy. There was no reason for joy. And those are the things that God wants to save us from. But God today in Jesus has saved us to bless us first of all, with everything we need in Christ Jesus. Now, when I say this, you're probably going to think, oh, wow, so you're saying that that car that I've been eyeing will come to me or that house or that huge bank balance that I'm longing for is going to happen. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's interesting because the word for prosper in this chapter, the word is actually shalom, which means wholeness, completeness, contentment, soundness. And that's what it means that the first thing, you know, the lack of resources that we've had before. God is saying, I'm going to give you something that is far better than that. I'm going to give you what you need and you're going to be so content with it. I'm going to give you what your soul needs. I'm going to give you what your body needs. You will know it when you experience it. Jesus says, seek first His kingdom and all these things. And he says that right after talking to his people about not worrying. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. Instead, seek first my kingdom. Everything will follow. The passage talks about a fruitfulness that is going to return. You know, where you sow things and you get things in return. Where you put in effort and there is a fruitfulness. And I believe that when we are truly saved, when we live as the saved The fruitfulness of our hands will be seen. The work that we toil for will bring rewards, will bring returns. That is the important thing, that we don't toil for nothing anymore. No more are we going to run in circles for that one big project. God is going to bring in what needs to come in. Maybe you've been seeking and striving for that perfect relationship, but God's going to say, you know what? I want you to be content in the relationship you have right now because that's from me. It's going to be amazing because when we allow God to really set us apart as the saved, he blesses us with what we need. The second thing is that when God blesses us, he blesses us so that we will be safe from the enemy. And you might not agree with me. You may say, you know what? I feel like I'm permanently under some sort of attack. Well, here's the thing. The enemy knows we cannot be wiped out. He knows we cannot be destroyed because now we are on the side of the conquering king. We are on the side of the king of kings and the lord of lords. So our side is the winning side. There's no doubts about it. But what he will try to do is he'll try to intimidate you. He'll try to put you down. He'll try to bring up old offenses. He will try to distract you. He will try to victimize you. He will try to intimidate you. But the beauty of it is this. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory. The victory is won. Satan is a defeated foe. And so no longer do we have to live our lives terrified of the enemy or worried that he will overrun our lives. He cannot because he's a defeated foe. We have the presence of God like a wall of fire. So no matter what has happened to your life, no matter what your past has looked like, no matter where you think there is no boundary to hold the enemy back, Jesus is your boundary. He will hold you back. He will protect you. He will keep you safe. So God blesses us, first of all, to give us everything we need. Secondly, to give us safety from the enemy. Thirdly, to give us peace in everything. Like I said, God himself says, I turned people against each other here We understand that in Jesus, Jesus himself is our peace who has broken down every wall of separation and has brought us together. I love that verse which says, peace is what I leave with you. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus says. Peace is what I leave with you. I give you my own peace. He says, I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. It's unbelievable that even when we go through the storms of life, the kind of peace that he gives us, Peace just before a surgery, peace just before a very important meeting, peace during a confrontation, peace during a relationship breakdown is unbelievable. You have to feel it, you have to experience it to know what I'm talking about. And that's what the Lord does. He saves us in order that we would experience this peace, in order that this peace will guide our lives, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what this peace looks like. And the fourth thing that God saves us is to bless us. He saves us in order to bless us with joy beyond our circumstances. Like you saw there, four reasons to mourn in a year. He's saying, I'm going to turn that around. I'm going to give you joy. Maybe your life thus far has been hard. Maybe you're saying, I've had setback after setback. Maybe you're saying my spouse left. Maybe you're saying I'm bringing up children alone. Maybe you feel your health has failed you. Physically, you're drained. You're unable Maybe you've not seen healing in sight. Maybe work has been less than enthusiastic for you. Whatever, Wherever you are on this spectrum, can I ask you that you would come back to this God who saves you because he's going to give you a reason to be joyful even when the circumstances are less than ideal. Here, it seemed unimaginable to these exiles who were returning that joy would again be found. It, it seemed unbelievable that they would have peace and rest from their enemies. It seemed unbelievable that they'll have what they need, that they would again have vineyards which are full of fruit, that they would have fields full of crops. It didn't seem possible. And maybe you're sitting in that place right now. But can I encourage you to believe that this is the God who saved us? This is the God who saves us. This is the God who walks with us. He's with us. He's in our midst. He's mighty. He's almighty. He's almighty. He's the God who saves. And before we conclude for today, this is what I want to ask you. There are conditions to living saved. You know, we are saved in Christ Jesus. We we received him. We are saved. Yes, eternity is, is sealed and secure for us. But in order to live saved on a daily basis, in order for others to see the fruit of that salvation, there are three conditions that I want to leave with you. And I believe that these conditions have to be The the guardrails on each of our lives. The first thing, if you noticed, he said, fear not, steady your hands. What does that look like? He's basically saying, be unafraid. God has called you to a task. Maybe it's raising your children alone. Maybe it is doing something that seems too big for you. Maybe it's quitting this job and, and starting on your own. I don't know what it is that God's asking you to do, but this I know. Today, he's speaking to you. He's saying, will you be unafraid? Will you strengthen your hands? How can you strengthen your hands? How do you strengthen your hands? How do you steady your hands? It's by trusting that the God who is with you will be with you every step of the way. Even if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or you're on a mountaintop, that he is with you. That's what it looks like. I I love that promise, which says from Psalm 118, verse 6 to 7, it says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I love what Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept secure. The proof is much. There's a lot of proof that when we trust in God, when we go out, even, you know, fear is unavoidable. We're human. It's part of our wiring. But sometimes it requires us to go afraid to say I will still take these next steps Lord I'm afraid I'm shaking in my boots but I'm just going to go and do what you've asked me to do I don't know how I'm going to bring up these children I don't know how I'm going to manage in this marriage but I know that if you are with me I can do anything and so I want to ask you today would you choose on a consistent basis to be unafraid? Would you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Because the one who is with you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have no reason to be afraid. And I'm a recovering fearaholic. I have struggled with fear for the longest time. And even the beginning, at the beginning of this year, when I was reading up of what was happening around the globe with, with the pandemic and all the viruses and the mutants and all of that, I remember December 31st feeling afraid. I remembered feeling dejected. And it was on Jan 1st when I was listening to Geshom's sermon that I realized, you know what, God, you are the shepherd. You will lead us. We are your people. You know what's ahead. You can see the horizon I can't see. And so I will trust you. And that is what I've decided to hold on to through the year. As much as there'll be reasons to be afraid, I need to trust him every step of the way. And that requires us personally. And I'm talking about this for each of you personally. This is not a communal exercise. It's not a community exercise. This is for each of us personally to come back to God and saying, I'm going to strengthen my hands in you, Lord. I'm keeping my hands in your hands. Strengthen me for the task. Keep me unafraid. I'm afraid. I'm I'm fearful. I'm I'm fearful of my job. I'm fearful of finances. I'm fearful for my family. I'm fearful for my infant whatever it is, come to him, hold his hands and keep walking because he wants us to be unafraid. He says, I am with you. I am the God who saves you. The second condition with God's help that we can actually meet is loving the truth. Did you notice what he said? Speak the truth to one another. Give judgments which are true and just that make for peace. Loving the truth. We live in a time where what the media projects as the truth is the truth we believe what we read we believe what we hear we don't know what the real truth is the absolute truth is never spoken of we hear about uh, things that that sound like the truth but they may actually not be and that's what he's talking about hate those half lies it says in another translation about you know perjury and swearing under oath and saying the wrong thing god hates a deceitful heart God hates deceitful lips that's what the word of God says the Lord detests lying lips but he delights in people who are trustworthy there's also that proverb which always sticks in my head because I love to wear big necklaces it says bind mercy and truth around your neck write them on the tablet of your heart that's from Proverbs chapter 3 verse 3 and I remember that every time I wear a chain, that as important as this is to an outfit, that we would bind mercy and truth on our lives, that we would keep it on us at all times. And what does that look like on a day to day basis? You know, um, for those of us who have children, sometimes to keep them quiet when we are on an important call, they'll be asking you questions about the caller or about the call. And then we tell them, you know, a couple of white lies to keep because it's, you know, way above their pay grade. But I realize that it's in the small and the big things that our honesty plays a role. I wonder whether we are peddling a lot of white lies because, you know, it's not going to affect anyone. It's important for this, for my child to hear just this. Or maybe some of us peddle in the big black lies, which could actually damage someone. But in God's eyes, there is no white or black. A lie is a lie. He hates deceitful lips. He hates lying lips. And King David, when he sinned, he wrote in Psalm 51, he says, you desire truth in the inward parts," And that was so confronting for me today. It was so confronting when I was reading that I just realized that, you know what, God, you desire truth, even in the way I perceive people. Because so often we just misjudge someone based on the lies we've heard, based on the lies we've made up. But he wants us to speak the truth to each other. He wants us to only transact In truth, a couple of weeks back, um, our three children were seated around the table. And there's this everyday argument that happens over who has to clean the dog's poop. And um, so every day I would ask, guys, whose turn is it? And they would always point the finger at someone else. And on that particular day that I was asking my daughter, my daughter, um, she's the first to usually palm it off onto someone else. And so she said, she usually will spell the guys, one of the guys names. And that day she started spelling the name and she said, C, And then she went on to spell her own name. And after she spelled her name, she was shocked because she realized she had spelled her own name and it was her turn to do the job. And so she was so shocked and we started laughing and he said, you know what? You admitted it yourself. Go clean it. And she laughingly gets up and this is what she says. She's like, oh my. I guess I'm just so addicted to the truth. And I wonder if we need to be like that. As followers of Jesus, as those who have been saved, are we addicted to the truth? To speaking it, to believing it, to living by it. Maybe it's time we start living our lives entirely held by the guardrails of truth. So that's the second thing. Second condition. First thing is to live unafraid. Second is to love the truth. And the third thing is to hate evil and pursue good. The people of Jerusalem had had so much evil happen to them. Enemies had just overrun them. Every possible nation had plundered them, left them with nothing. And yet God is saying, don't pursue evil, pursue good. Like I said, bringing up children in this generation, it's a man-eat-man world. We are training our children to walk in the statutes of the Lord. We're telling them, you know what, don't swear outside. Don't hit someone when they hit you. At the end of the day, I'm worried will we raise up a bunch of wimps because, you know, the world is tough. The world wants to get them. But then today, when I was reading through this passage again, I was reading the book of Matthew, which where Jesus himself says, you know, someone slaps you on one cheek, show them the other cheek. And I, I was like, Lord, how am I supposed to teach my sons to do that? And then in the subscript, it talked about how self-defense, Jesus was not banning self-defense. Jesus was not banning running away from evil. He says, run, flee. But he ensures that we don't wait for retaliation, that we don't initiate retaliation. We don't initiate revenge. That we allow God to be God and that God will fight for us. But all we are called to do is to seek peace and pursue it, to look for good in people, to to find good in people and to pursue that good. Not to over, be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. That's what the book of Romans says. Psalm 34 verse 14 talks about departing from evil and doing good. Seek peace and pursue it. And the call on each of our lives, those of us who are saved, those of us who know Jesus and who are walking with him, is that every day we will choose overcome evil with good it's hard it's hard when I was reading it this morning I said God why why are you expecting such a high thing from us it's so difficult because when people treat us bad we want to say that one thing we want to retaliate maybe we won't do it in kind maybe we won't do it physically but we want to say that one thing we want to type out that one thing But what will set us apart from the crowd? What will set us apart from our in our communities? What will set us apart at work is when we rest in the fact that God knows, God sees, and God will fight for us. So today I want you to come back to this place of the fruit. You know that fruit that was so evident in my neighbor's property. I just realized that God is asking us today, what fruit are you showing? Do you show the fruit of someone who is saved? Or are you showing some old fruit of 20 years back when you were initially, you know, fresh from salvation, you were on fire for me. But now that fire has become an ember, which is barely there because the storms have hit you. They've left you ravaged. What fruit are you exhibiting? Do you exhibit peace in your life? Do you exhibit joy? Do you exhibit A life of fulfillment right where you're at. I don't need that huge bank balance. I don't need that increment. Where I'm at, I'm completely content knowing this is what God has for me right now. Do I live like that? Do I live in a place where I'm victorious over the power, over every power of the enemy? Do I trample him into the ground like the serpent that he is? Do I know that I have already won this victory, Lord? I need to endure this. But I'll come out victorious at the end of it. Do I walk with that confidence? Because that is what will be seen and tasted by others as fruit from our lives. So I want to ask you today a couple of questions before I close. Are you the kind of person, because of the fruit that you're bearing in your life, that people at work, people in your community, people in your neighborhood are saying, Tell me more about this God. I want him. Because you remember the last few passages it says, Five people will grab hold of a Jew and say, I want your God, I heard he's with you. I wonder if each of us in the marketplaces that we find ourselves in, if we are living out that faith that we have, if the God who saves is so evident in our lives, do people come to you and say, I want what you have. I want the God that you have. You seem to be so close to that God, I want him too. I wonder if we live like that. Maybe you've been feeling... My generations are cursed. I've had so much hardship hit me. I am barely standing right now. I don't think my children are going to be blessed. I think their legacy is going to be spoiled as well. Can I stop you right there? This word is for you. The God who told the Israelites that you were a byword for cursing, but I'm going to bless you now. That God is telling you right now, I see you. I love you. I saved you. And I want to bless you. I'm going to bless your generations. I'm going to bless you. You are going to be a blessing to many. You were not saved for yourself. You were saved so that you will be a blessing to many others. Your children are going to be blessed. Your relatives are going to be blessed. Your community is going to be blessed because of you. No more. No more are you going to say, I'm cursed. This is all that I'm meant for. No, you're meant for greater things. The Lord wants to do it. Yeshua, the God who saves wants to touch you, wants to redeem everything in you. Maybe you're saying you've been frozen in fear. He's given you certain tasks, but you're unable to do it because fear has been holding you down. But can I ask you today that you will strengthen your hands and say, Lord, you know what? I'm afraid, but I'm going to just go keep going. And you keep holding my hands. You strengthen me for the task. Maybe the task is just going, getting through your old age. Maybe the task is managing without a spouse. Maybe the task is dealing with a wayward child. Whatever your task is today, can I ask that you will leave fear out of your life. You'll push it out. You don't need it. But you will strengthen your hands for the task ahead because he is with you. Emmanuel, God with you. He is with you right now. Maybe for you, pursuing good, speaking the truth, Those were things that they don't actually characterize your life. Maybe you're saying, as you were listening to this, you said, Lord, I've been trading in lies. I have not spoken the truth to people. I've been deceitful. I have actually created discord and disharmony. I've broken relationships. I have damaged someone else because of my words, because of my intentions. Can I tell you today that there is hope in Jesus? All you need to do is repent of that. And he is waiting. He is not a God who writes you off because of what you've done. If you come back to him, if you repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up. I've lived a life marked by deceit, by treachery, by discord. I want to come back to you. He's waiting to take you back. Even as I lead you into a time of prayer, can I just ask that whichever category you fall into, the fearful the one who has been dealing with lies, the one who has only sought for evil, who has planned evil against someone else. You are not beyond redemption. God wants to touch you right now. He wants to restore you. He wants to make you a blessing. He wants to make you someone who will see joy in the days to come. But you need to take a stand right now. Can I help you with that? Father, I just pray that those who are struggling with this right now will find, Lord, healing and restoration in you. We pray that, Lord, right now, they would come before you confessing everything that needs to be confessed. And we believe that, Lord, you say, if you confess your sins, you are faithful and just to forgive them. I pray you will restore them, Lord. I pray that they will be a blessing to many. I pray that, Lord, you will help them bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. I pray for those who have been paralyzed by fear, O Father, those who have got huge tasks at hand. But have been unable to complete it, ac- uh, uh, unable to accomplish it, Lord. We just pray that you would strengthen their hands right now, that they'll have the strength to finish their journeys well. Lord, I pray for those who have been struggling with a season of drought, barrenness, joylessness, peacelessness. Father, we pray right now that you will bring that in. Holy Spirit, the giver of peace, we just pray that you will bring peace into lives. I pray that you will restore joy right now irrespective of the circumstances. We pray for contentment, that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will watch over hearts and minds right now, will guard their hearts and minds. We believe, O Lord, that you have saved us. We thank you for that. And I pray that we will live lives that are saved, that the watching world will see and want more of you, Lord. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Even as you get into this weekend, I encourage you to read Zechariah chapter 8 for yourself. Don't take my word for it. It's one of the most beautiful passages of scripture. Believing that God has something specifically for you in that passage. Um, Have a blessed week. Remember that God saves you. And that you are now considered saved. And your life needs to exhibit that. Your joy will exhibit that. Your peace will exhibit that. Your contentment And the wholeness that you exhibit will draw others to the God who saves. Have an amazing week. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in Remember, whoever finds Jesus, finds life.